Well, I hope that got you ready for uh, today as we kick off one of the first aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, which today will be love. Uh, If you were here last week, you'll remember that Dave kicked us off with uh, an introductory sermon on about the fruit of the Spirit and over the next nine weeks of what we'll be going over. And one thing that I remember is how Dave said it's really, it's one fruit with many characteristics, many embodiments that we must exhibit in its totality, right? It's not something one day, all right, I'm going to be joyful today, I'm going to do this. You know, it's not like going to the gym, you're like, I'm going to hit back and by today, I'm going to hit peace and patience. Uh, but I skip leg day, I mean love day, um, during the week, because that's just not fun for me, right? No, it's, it's natural, organic, Holy Spirit work that we must exhibit. And that's what we're going to look at over the next nine weeks. And as you can see, uh, the list uh, of what we will be Talking about each week, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But today we will talk about love. And before we we dive into our passage that we will talk about today, I want to share just a brief little story that is like a little backdrop to what we'll talk about today. And the story is is found in a few of the Gospels, but one we'll look at is in, in Luke near the end. And it's only a couple sentences, but what we read about this event is this, is that the disciples were together and the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest, who was the best. I mean, these were the disciples that walked with Jesus, witnessed him perform miracles, witnessed him feed the hungry, speak to those that people didn't speak to, and years later, they found themselves arguing who is the best. I mean, see the pride, the sin that still resides in their hearts, even though they walked amongst Jesus. I mean, think about us, like we are in that same boat. I mean, I, can, I can't imagine what this scene must have been like, right? Like Peter was probably the first one. He probably jumped in, was like, I walked on water. Anybody else? It's like the guy who like went to the moon. Like no one else can top that story. Like I went to the moon, I walked on water, right? Or maybe John was like, hey, I'm described as the, the disciple Jesus loved, yeah, you, you can't beat that. Or, or maybe Matthew was going, well, I wrote the biggest gospel. Anybody else? 28 chapters? Anyone? No? Then Bartholomew was probably like, hey, guys. And then everyone was like, nah, Barty, get out of here. People probably won't even remember your name. Like, the, the different conversation. <laughs> right? But, I mean, imagine the tension in the room there. Like, imagine Jesus walking in on that and seeing this is what his disciples were doing. They were struggling with pride still. They were struggling with Sin. And this story happens right before what we are going to talk about today. We are going to be reading in John 13, if you want to open up your Bibles. Um, But that scene kind of leads into John 13. Like, this is the backdrop. We have to remember that little story as we talk through John 13 today. Uh, Because Jesus was at a point where he's a great teacher. He's been teaching them so much. But Jesus comes to a point where he says, you know what? I can't only tell you things. I have to show you things. Right? And I think our world knows about Jesus. They've heard us say Jesus' name. But I think our world needs to see Jesus too. We need to show them Jesus, experience Jesus as well. And that's what Jesus says. He's like, I need to show them my heart. I need to show them who I am. But before we see who Jesus is today and his love, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of love. We read that throughout all the scripture. And today, Lord, we see that your love goes on and on, regardless of, of what we're arguing about, regardless whether our, our, our hearts are filled with pride, you still choose to love us, Lord, and we are so grateful for that. Open our eyes. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start in verse one. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. This is going to be like our main thing we talk about today is from this verse that Jesus loved to the end. So often we can project our humanity upon God's character. Well, God must love how I love. God must forgive how I forgive. Yet God is not me. God is not you. God is God. He loves, he forgives much differently than we do. Dane Orland puts it this way. He says, we love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Right, he writes this in his book, Gentle and Lowly, incredible book, um, where I pull a lot of the themes here today, is that we love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Meaning like, I'll love you so much until you talk bad about me behind my back. I'll love you, I'll be your best friend, I'll be your best man at your wedding, we'll hang out, I'll talk to you every single day, but the second you stab me in the back at work, done. Right? How quickly our love can end for someone. I mean, think about it. Somebody can call you one name, they can say one word to you, maybe two words, and your love for them can quickly dissolve. We love to a limit. Some of us have bigger limits, some of us have small limits, but we love up to a limit. Yet Jesus, real fruit of the Spirit, he loves to the end. Because God loves differently than we do. And what does Jesus do with this incredible love? Let's read and see. In verse 2 it says this. During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Jesus here is exhibiting a, a posture of a servant, of a slave. Right? He's laying aside his nice clothes, his outer garments, he's rolling up his sleeves, and he's ready to get dirty. Right? We do that when we're going to go do some yard work, going to go change the oil in our car. We're, we're expecting to, to get dirty. We, we change. We, we don't put on our nice clothes. So Jesus is getting ready to do something. What's incredible is that in, in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and he had come from God, was going back to God, right? So Jesus, knowing the cross was coming very, very soon, his heart, his love was directed towards his disciples, Think about us, right? When we're going through a tough time, things at work, relationships, I know I got a tough conversation later, we often withdraw, we reserve. And you might hear someone say, hey, you seem off today, what's going on? We focus on ourselves. Yet Jesus, the knowledge of the cross that's coming, his heart is still, his love is still directed towards others, towards his disciples. It's like, I'll, I'll love you even if it means I have to get dirty, right? Jesus didn't walk out of this room when he saw who was there. Right? Remember that backstory. They were all arguing who was the best, and that's what Jesus sees. Craig Rochelle puts it this way. He says, the night before he is going to give his life, he looks around the room and he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts, dirty feet. Like a lot of us, I think, when, when, we're, when our time is done, we're ready uh, to die. We, we want to be surrounded by our family and love, tell how amazing we were, hold our hands, hugs and kisses. 
Yet Jesus' last night is surrounded by people filled with proud hearts and dirty feet. And the incredible thing here is Jesus didn't walk out the door. Jesus didn't look out and go, why did I pick these guys? (laughs) Like, really? Really, this is what you're doing now? Jesus didn't regret his decision. He didn't wish he picked somebody else. I probably would. I'd look out and be like, this is not how I want to spend my last day on earth. (laughs) Yet Jesus, his heart, full of love, looks towards his disciples and moves towards them. His compassionate heart leads him to do that. And what does Jesus do? If we know Jesus loves to the end, what does he do? This is incredible. Verse five, it says this. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus washed their dirty feet. I I, I was trying to draw a comparison, to be like, hey, let's look at this and see what this is similar to, but I just can't compare anything to to Lord Jesus, the Messiah, in comparison to someone else. I don't know, Queen of England, the president washing her feet, like nothing could even come close to Jesus washing their feet. So work with me. We'll, we'll start with just a glimpse of what that might feel like, all right? So imagine, imagine, right? We're not actually doing this. Imagine you took your shoes and your socks off right now. Please don't do it for the sake of your neighbors, people around you. Keep your shoes on. You take your socks off, your feet, and they're very exposed. Who's feeling uncomfortable? Unless you had the greatest pedicure of your life yesterday, majority of you are feeling a little uncomfortable. Now let's go a step further. Stranger comes in and just stares at your feet just stares at them, doesn't say anything, but just awkwardly staring at your feet. Who's uncomfortable? I'm still uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable since I took my socks off. All right? Lastly, for some reason, this stranger has a towel and just starts wiping your feet off. Imagine how you would be feeling. Embarrassed? I didn't cut my nails yesterday. Awkward, because the stranger's washing your feet. I mean, this is how they are feeling. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ washing their feet. So I'm trying to think of another way to like put this into what this may look like. And, and Lord Jesus came to my mind. Like we call him Lord. I'm like, all right, well, who else do we call Lord in our lives? Who else do we call Lord? And for some reason, all these villains in movies are like the only places where I could find where we called people or where people were called Lord, which is interesting, right? They had all this power, all this strength, all this might, and somehow they were all evil. Right, because we can't even imagine, picture someone with all of that staying good. So the first one that came to my mind was Lord Vader, Lord Darth Vader. Imagine, picture Lord Vader taking his, his, his cape off, taking his helmet off, might be a little scary, taking his gloves off, or maybe he keeps them on because he doesn't really have real hands. Imagine him saying, Stormtrooper, come here, I need to clean your feet. Like, it's comical. I can't, I can't even picture him doing that, right? You made a mistake in his presence, he'd put his hands out and he'd, he'd kill you right in that moment. Can't even picture it. All right, another one, Lord Voldemort. Harry Potter series, this guy was evil. In the books, they actually called him he who must not be named. He was so scary, just saying his name brought fear into people's lives, right? Imagine this guy. Look, this guy looks freaking nuts. I mean, imagine him going, I want to wash your feet before you guys go, to his followers, right? His followers would cower in his presence. I can't even picture it. Or the last one I have is Lord Sauron, 
from Lord of the Rings. Imagine this guy before the final battle is like, uh, if I could just have a couple orcs and goblins come here really quick. I just want to wash your feet before you go. Um, right? We just can't even picture someone with all this power, all of this control, stooping that low to washing someone's feet. Yet we see Jesus, far greater Lord, that had all this power, control, and might with a compassionate heart, with a loving heart, remaining good, and yet he went that low to get on his knees, take a towel wrapped around him, and wash his disciples' feet. And feet were gross. They didn't have $200 brooks or hokas or Nikes to cover their feet up. Their feet were gross. They walked everywhere in sandals. And I read that it was such a degrading act to wash someone's feet that the Jews would say, don't even let a Jewish slave do it. Let a Gentile do it. That's how degrading, humiliating this act was. Yet Lord Jesus Christ did that. And I'm just trying to think how uncomfortable they must have felt, how awkward this must have been, right? Remember, they were all just arguing, who's the greatest? And Jesus says, let me show you something. Wow. And I'm trying to think of a glimpse of maybe my life where I felt uncomfortable and awkward. And for some reason, this popped in my head, and it's just a glimpse. But growing up, I played a few different instruments, and I played the clarinet, elementary school, middle school. And, you know, probably teenage insecurity, myself, not being confident in in the clarinet. Uh, I was really embarrassed and uncomfortable that I played it. I didn't really want people to know. And so in middle school, uh, we would go to the stage to practice during class before a concert, and we would have to go back to our classroom when the bell rang and grab our stuff and go to the next one. But if we ran late, I'd have to walk in the hallway with my clarinet. And I would go, I don't want anyone to see me with this instrument. So literally what I would do is I would take my clarinet and I'd slide it up my arm sleeve of my sweatshirt all the way up to the top. I was telling my brother, he's like, how did you even do that? I was like, I don't even know. Somehow I did it. I slid it all the way to the top. I had like a peg leg of an arm. I was like, hey, see you in math, bro. Because um, I was like, I don't want anyone to see me with this thing. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And yet I think that was just maybe a glimpse, maybe just a fraction of what they must have felt with the Messiah, creator of all, washing their feet. And I think that story I shared, which is funny, not in the moment, it's funny now, is the story's kind of twofold. That was my experience, but the other side of it is Jesus was not embarrassed to be seen with his disciples. He was not embarrassed to be walking around with a clarinet with his, his motley crew of disciples that were arguing, who's the best? Jesus said, I'm not embarrassed to be with you. I am proud to be with you. Because Jesus was showing them a love that loves to the end. He was showing them a, a servanthood type of love, a, a humble type of love. And if it, if, if it humiliated himself to get on the ground and wash his feet, he said, I will still love you in that way. He had the towel and wiped their feet clean. I think there's some symbolism there, right? Like what's to come is the cross. Jesus said, I will wipe away your dirt with a towel that's wrapped around me. I'll wipe away your dirt with myself. I will take it upon me. And he cleans them. So I know the disciples were not comfortable. And I think Peter was the first one to be like, all right, someone's got to say something here. Like, are we all just going to watch this? So Peter, knowing his personality, he says this in verse six. He says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. So Peter is probably speaking on behalf of all the disciples going like, we're all going to let this, this happen and no one's going to ask him what he's doing, why he's doing this. In verse 8, Peter says, 
you shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter's response is interesting. She'll never wash my feet. And I'm trying to think why he would say that. Knowing him and his personality, what we read about Peter, like maybe it was pride. Maybe Peter was saying, no, 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 Jesus, don't wash my feet. I'll do it. I'll do it. Maybe Peter was just too uncomfortable. He just felt too awkward. Someone touching his feet, let alone Jesus touching his feet. Or maybe Peter saw some of the symbolism that was happening of Jesus wiping away the dirt, wiping away the sin. And Peter maybe said, no, 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 don't touch my feet. I want to keep that one foot dirty. I want to keep that one part of my life. I don't want you touching that one. So I'm wondering if, if, if we all have a part of our life we don't want Jesus to clean. Like, what's your, what's your right foot you don't want Jesus to touch? <laughs> your Saturday nights, the, the way you use your power at work, the way things are happening in family. Like, what is something in your life that you don't want Jesus to clean because you want it that way? Yet Jesus says, Peter, if I don't clean you, you can't be with me. If I don't clean you, you have no share with me. I don't think Peter wanted to hear that. So what he says in verse nine is this. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, also my head. Like, just wash all of me if that's what it means to be with you. Because Peter knew, Peter knew who Jesus was. We read that. Peter knows Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, I want to be with you. So if it means cleaning all of me, do it. And we all need to let Jesus clean us fully. And we all need to let Jesus do it. Because if we let Jesus clean us fully, we can go and then love others like Jesus loves us, right? The Holy Spirit can truly work in us. Your natural, organic Holy Spirit fruit can work in us. But, but Peter didn't truly understand what Jesus said, and Jesus wants to let Peter know exactly what he means by this. So Jesus says to him in verse 10, he says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Well, not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Right? Jesus knew Judas was in the room. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do very, very soon. And that's why Jesus said, not all of you are clean. He knew Judas's heart. Yet Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are clean. In other words, Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, you are saved. I mean, imagine, I think many of us are sure of our salvation. We know we've put our hope and faith in Christ alone. Imagine Jesus' words looking at you saying, you are saved. What Peter must have felt in that moment. But that's why Jesus came. He's saying, you are clean because of the gospel, right? Because when you accept Jesus, he's saying, you have this full body wash happen, right? Not just your feet. You have a full body wash, Peter, and that's already happened to you. That's the justification moment. That's when our righteousness before the standing of God changes. It's a one-time event that occurs. And he's saying, Peter, you've already been there. But what you do need, Peter, is daily cleansing. Right, because when you leave your house, your feet are gonna get a little dirty. You're still going to sin. As you know, you were just arguing about that. You were the best. <laughs> you still need to be cleansed each day by me. It's that sanctification, growing, transforming into the image of Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
I mean, that is why Jesus came, right? To, to, to not just give us examples of kindness and, and love and peace, but to truly save us from our sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I came to fully wash you, to take your sin upon the cross on your behalf, to die for you so that you may live, so that you may be clean fully. That is why he came to rescue us, to justify us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. As we read in verse 12, it says this, When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? I love that Jesus washed their feet, right? Jesus didn't just wash one or two's feet and go, all right, you guys get the idea, right? Right? It doesn't say Jesus washed just a couple left feet and left some of the right ones dirty and say, all right, right, whatever, we're good, right? No, it says Jesus washed their feet, he didn't go up to Andrew and go, Andrew, man, have, have you touched your feet before? These things are stinky and dirty, man. Look at these things, right? Or, or maybe he went up to Philip and was cleaning his feet, and he's like, Philip, I just, I feel like I'm doing a majority of the work here. Like, work with me. Come on. Like, I don't think he did that. I don't think he went up to Thomas, and Thomas was like, I don't know. I doubt you're going to do it. <laughs> My feet are kind of dirty, I don't know, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you're right. This, I don't, you think I got a power washer in the back to clean these things off? Like, we don't see that. Why? Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus finishes what he started. I love the song by The Belonging Co. It's called This Far. And this is what the lyrics say. It says, you didn't bring me this far just to leave me here. Like Jesus didn't get Peter all justified, all cleaned, said, welcome to the family, and then halfway through go, never mind. <laughs> that arguing over there, I can't take it. You can't be, you can't be with me. That pride-filled heart, never mind. Right? We don't see that because Jesus' love goes to the end. I mean, talk about a security to rest upon. Think about our salvation is dependent on that love that says, I will love you through all of those moments my love is limitless, which means our salvation is secure in Christ. Jesus does not unadopt us when he's tired of us. Jesus does not say, I, just, I, regret, I regret this decision. He washed their feet, completed Another way to put it, Dane Ortland says it this way. He says, we cannot sin our way out of his tender care. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care care. That's a secure love to put our lives upon. That is a secure salvation that Jesus has for us, right? It says that in John, whoever is in the Father's hands, no one can snatch them out. And he loves his disciples this way. He loves you in this way. Remember, a room full of dirty feet, pride-filled hearts. And what does Jesus do? What does that make his heart do? moves towards them. What would make us want to run, end a relationship? Jesus says, that's it. Let me keep pursuing you. Let me keep loving you because I will love you to the end. And as Jesus was, was concluding this incredible moment of washing their feet, he ends it with this. He says this in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I think what Jesus was trying to say here was, Peter, Andrew, when you leave here tonight, on the walk home, don't look at each other and go, that was a pretty good message Jesus gave, right? That was pretty good. Want to grab some fish? Right? Like, like, don't go home today and say, how was church? It was nice. Yeah, I think the Yanks are on at one. They're going for like 15 straight. Um, right? No. No, Jesus does not want us to do that. Like, food is good. Movies are nice. Not the transforming work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, that is on a whole nother level. And he's saying, don't just listen to this and go home unchanged. He's like, go home and do something about this. Like, go home on your way home, think, how can I let this motivate me? How can I let this change my heart? Desiring to be changed. Alistair Begg says it this way. He says, does my character make people want to believe the gospel? Like, in other words, like, the way I love someone, does that make someone want to believe Jesus' love is real? Like, does that make someone look at me and say, wow, I want to experience that? I want that. Do people say that in the way we live our lives, in the way we love others? Right, because Jesus' love is limitless. Jesus loves to the end. And he's saying, if I am doing that to you, if I'm willing to get on the ground and wash your feet, you need to do that too. I heard this the other day. If you want to love like Jesus, go wash Judas' feet. Judas was there. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. He knew his heart wasn't right. He knew what was all messed up about Judas, yet Jesus said, I'm still going to wash your feet. I'm not waiting for you to come up to me and apologize. I'm not gonna wait for you to say, all right, let's clear these things up. Jesus still went to Judas and washed his feet. Who is your Judas, right? Who's someone in your life? You're just waiting for them. Well, I'll wash their feet after, after we're good, after we have nice talk, after they apologize to me, after they realize how much they hurt me, then I'll love them. That's our limited love. Jesus loves differently. Jesus loves to the end. I mean, to the end. Can we even picture what that means? It's a long time. It's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of conflicts in between here and to the end, right? That we gotta work through, we gotta love through. But on those journeys, we have to know we are going to grow. We are going to transform through them. I mean, if we truly love someone through all of life, the work of the Holy Spirit, and we let it do its work, we'll only be more peaceful, more patient, more kind, right? Because we can't love somebody and not be kind with them. We can't love somebody and be impatient with them. All, that's the cool thing about the Holy Spirit and the fruit. They're all connected. They're all intertwined. If I love you through all those things, I'm gonna end up being more patient. I'm gonna end up being more forgiving. All those things work together hand in hand and we have to let the Holy Spirit do its work in us. Because Jesus did that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do that. Right, because even when Jesus was betrayed, he continued to love. Even when Jesus was beaten, he continued to love. Even when Jesus was denied by his friends, he continued to love them. Peter, again, imagine, not so long after this moment, when Jesus is on his way to the cross to die, Peter said, I don't know him, three times. And you know Jesus' response to that was? You're still my guy, Peter. You're still my guy. 
I don't regret picking you. I don't wish I'd pick somebody else. I'm still gonna use you, Peter. Imagine how we would react to that. I can get some new friends. I can get someone else, but Jesus is faithful. Jesus loves to the end. And he says the same things about us. Even when we're, we're denying, when we're, when we're a little messed up, when we sin, when we're, hearts are filled with pride, Jesus didn't go, never mind. Ah, I just don't know if I made the right choice. Can I, is there a return policy on this? Like, no. Jesus says, I picked you. I'm gonna complete what I started. And I'm going to love you to the end. So Jesus says, if, if I am bearing that kind of fruit, so should you. Will we bear a love that loves to the end? I wanna invite the worship team up now as we close, as we respond and worship. So as we worship, as we pray, as we come before the Lord, know that we are coming into the presence of a savior who chose us. We are coming into the presence of a savior who says, when I was going to the cross, I knew every single sin you were going to sin in your life. And I kept going. I kept walking to the cross in knowledge of all of that. Why? Why would Jesus ever do that? Why would he keep walking to the cross? Because he loves us to the end. Let's go do the same. Let's pray. God, we are in awe, we are in reverence of you. We just, we don't see this love common. We don't see this love around us often, Lord, in in our day-to-day lives, Lord, but we see it when we look to you. That love can be day by day filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We can experience your never-ending, never-failing, never-giving-up-on-us love, Lord. We praise you for that love. May we worship you in, in truth. And may we love others the way you've loved us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.